This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to the awful and awesome entertainment rap. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 140 of the awful and awesome entertainment rap. I'm Abhinandan Sekri. And I'm Anjalin Sahani. Thank you, Anjalin Sahani. In case you're wondering who is Anjalin Sahani and does Rajshri suddenly sound extremely uh, soft-spoken and and uh, polite and dignified? No, it's not Rajshri who's changed her name. <laughs> Angelin is a subscriber who is an engineer based out of Bangalore, a mom of 10 months and an avid theater book and music lover. A lot of it has taken a back seat with the baby. She's found a new love and appreciation for podcasts. I guess that's how you discovered us, Angelin. As there are non-intrusive fun and great way to stay current. Born to Iranian Sikh mother and a Sikh father, she has had a very culturally diverse and eclectic upbringing. She loves traveling and is waiting for her son to grow up a bit. so she can resume her other loves of traveling so welcome angelin as my co-host thank you so much thank you thanks amarnan before we go in and tell our audience what you will be talking about in fact i can just tell them right now you'll be talking about pose season 1 and 2 and my favorite murder uh we'll also be talking about a nike commercial and the amazon prime film the report but i would plug pay to keep news free those of you who are listening to us on podcast platforms like iTunes Castbox Stitcher we have a website called newslaundry.com we do journalism we do reportage we do analysis we do commentary we are an ad free platform and that is why we depend on you to keep our you know salaries coming the rent going and the heating up to date and in delhi we know we need the heating right now it's freezing so it is subscribers like angelin who not only volunteer their time by co-hosting and making awful and awesome more awful uh, sorry more <laughs> awesome <laughs> more awesome than it is awful which is my responsibility they also contribute so they pay to keep news free because when the public pays the public is served when advertisers pay advertisers are served so angelin I will start by reading an email that we got and mm-hmm. from there we'll take it to Angelin. This is from a subscriber. Hi Abhinandan and Rajshri, I absolutely love your podcast and I'm a subscriber. I can't tell you how great it is to find a portal like yours where there's no bias in the news and it's honest and real. Although I do believe we have bias, but yeah, we don't have a collective bias in one direction. Big fan. Mm-hmm. Now episode 139. I had some concerns that I wanted to voice. I know how Abhinandan abhors today's PC culture, but some things were so glaringly incorrect and implicitly sexist that it begged a comment. Statements like, I'm paraphrasing, men of my generation have some gender constructs ingrained and it can't be changed anymore. Wonder Woman is not a superhero, but a superheroine. This diversity inclusion is going nuts. So, Sarah Silverman's show is not clean because all her comedy is for jokes about her vagina. Exclamation mark. No one is too old to correct their ways. If you expect the society to change how they think of women and gender constructs as one of the solutions to widespread sexual assault and harassment issue, you cannot hide behind the generational thinking. You cannot claim that you weren't taught any better. So this is it. This is how I am and I will be. No, all of us have to do better. All of us have to look inwards and change what is incorrect. And Seinfeld, he's expressed anger about not being able to use the N-word in his jokes. So how is his comedy clean? He needs to recognize his privilege and we should celebrate the fact that there are strong women out there who can accept their bodies male jokes about it and destigmatize the female anatomy. You may not like their jokes or find them funny but you cannot call their comedy unclean and racist comedy clean. 
please do better read up on why diversity and inclusion has to go nuts so as your guest pointed out why so many of us who did not have a voice until recently and many still don't need it to be nuts so i hope this helps regards angelin thank you angelin for that wonderful well articulated mail you're welcome <laughs> well i must say you're a lot more soft spoken than your mail which <laughs> which <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I mean I actually wrote what I wanted to say in that mail uh I don't know if all my points came across that well but the idea was that you know you notice it in everyday life where everyone because a process is to be followed in workplaces and things like that is being taught about the lingo to use which is appropriate how to behave but everyone takes that as a very light subject as something to make fun of and not really inculcate it into how you are in your personal life which is not how it should be so the idea of these trainings or the idea of talking about it is to actually make you reconsider how you think and not just you know take it as another one of those hr thingies that you have to do right so that's sure. where this whole thing was coming from Sure. So I agree with much of what you've said. I'm not sure I disagree with some, but I think I may if I will ask you to go into it. But before we do that, let's mm-hmm. first have your review of uh, Pose season one and two. I actually don't know what this show is, so tell me about it. But before you do, tell me about yourself. You said you were born to an Iranian Sikh mother and a Sikh father. So mm-hmm. your your maternal grandparents, one of them was Iranian. No, so my maternal great grandparents mm-hmm. they sort of moved to Iran. They were Indian, and that side of my family is still there. Okay. Uh, my mother moved back to India for her education, mm. and then my parents got married. So I mean, even though they are Indian, but like the Iranian culture is a big part of their life. How interesting! So tell me, I have well, I, I'm not even sure if it's my theory. Oh no, sorry. This I had read yeah a long time ago by this uh, British um, Indian Parsi film critic. I forget her name. She said that mm-hmm. you know all cinema in the world has died other than Bollywood and Hollywood. And uh, and she gave one of the examples of Iranian cinema that used to be really robust. Yeah. I remember when I was young, there used to be Iranian film festivals, a regular thing at Sidi Fort. So tell us a little about that, right. since you have some Iranian blood. Is there still a film industry there that creates cinema that the world can celebrate, or it's all done and done? I think there are a few movies that do come out, but there's so much censorship and there's so much fear in the people that I don't think you will get a lot of very honest cinema coming out. But there are people who have tried to make things in the past. But according to my mother, when she was growing up, the Iranian society was actually one of the most progressive. societies in that time and uh, in 79 when the revolution took place that's when everything turned to shit for a lack of better word right. yes. um so before that it was very progressive um lots of american movies and cars like my mother grew up watching disney cartoons and stuff but that's not the case today but that also led to a lot of yeah. indigenous cinema coming out of iran right Right yeah mm. yeah that's true and you know the cars were imported everyone had a very high flying lifestyle so to speak and then it just you know turned into something completely different like mm. very very dark yeah but but i'm guessing and, there must have been you know like in uh, maybe parts of like beirut for example was considered like this happening place but i think this 
extreme swing happens in a place where there is a very large rural population that is completely untouched by what's happening in the urban centers which is why right. such a radical transformation is possible otherwise i don't think it would be possible if that prosperity and coolness was like across the country then it would be a lot harder no that's true i think yeah i think the there has to be a stark difference between what the few observers is what the masses see and i think that's pretty much something that can lead to this kind of an extreme revolution so that's definitely i mean should be one of the factors but i'm just speaking from her experience of what i've heard of her iran so to speak when she was young sure has very very different from what you know right now I because see. we have cousins there and their lifestyles are very different i see yeah so angelin so is this an iranian name angelin Um, no, it's just random. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Angela and Sani, tell us about Pose season one and two. Why we should watch it or shouldn't? Or are you like Rajshree? Keep people watch anything because obviously people have nothing to do in their lives. <laughs> no, I think you should definitely watch Pose. because it talks about something that not too many people talk about, but it's very important in today's world. It is time we remind the world who we are. Jackpot. Mother, what do we take? Everything. The category is royalty. So basically it's uh, setting the ball with culture the LGBTQ community. Okay. So I don't know if you're aware of the of the ballroom culture. No, I'm not. Tell But, me. Okay. So the ballroom culture actually started in about I think around 1920s or 30s I'm not very sure of the exact date but that's the culture in which you know this is based the story is based so basically these are people from the LGBTQ community who've sort of been shunned by their families and they all come together and live together in sort of a community which is made of like houses so basically five or six of them live together like siblings and there's a mother or a father figure Is that, that right? This house. this actually I happened. Take care of the children. It was actually like that. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. It okay. is. And I mean, it might have sort of phased out a little bit now, but mm. in like the seventies, eighties, and nineties, it was a big thing. I see. And uh, the story is, uh, you know, starts around late eighties, and the second season is in the nineties, and that's when the AIDS epidemic is, you know, at its peak in America. Right. So. it's all of these people in this community and people from within the community are dying nobody is really caring about them aids education is not yet where it is today and a lot of it has to do with you know the government in america not really treating lgbtq people at par with other people and hence they think that since this disease is only limited to them we should not care about it enough I'm sh- I'm sure in the 90s it was kind of the reality had dawned on us but in the 80s it was still assumed that AIDS only infects uh, homosexuals is that right yeah. is that what were the Yeah I mean that was a more sort of a religious take to the whole disease I see um, so homophobia was a big part of why nobody wanted to invest into AIDS research I see and, so so you know um, so this show is the about the Yeah, sorry, sorry this shows about the that entire church versus medicine angle or it's like a family drama kind of thing with what or is it no, is it a politics story it's just the story of these characters who are within that uh, community hmm so you'll see the ballroom culture for what it is it's like a pageant every night where they walk in different categories dress up like that category so basically they're just trying to sort of live out their best lives hmm. with whatever is being afforded to them 
and in the middle of all that um you see issues like the kind of bias they face every day the kind of issues um trans people face that even the lesbian and gay people do not understand and sort of discriminate against trans people so there's um, a discrimination within the know, discrimination within the yeah i see so so there's a lot of that which you don't see so basically we think that lgbtq is one category and like everyone in that and and the straight people are is a different category but it, it's so very you know fluid and there are so many different angles to it and within the lgbtq community as well there is so much uh, bias and there are so many people who have one or the other privilege for example a trans woman that can pass as a woman Hmm. has much more chances of succeeding at a job than a trans woman who cannot pass so those sort of things that you don't even think about those are addressed in the show so it's very interesting to see it's a drama it's a little poignant you see it from all of these different angles that you never really thought of existed so for that reason i think it's a very good show to watch how's the music and, uh, since it's set in the 80s i'm hoping the music is of the 80s cuz that was the best yeah it is 70s and 80s are yes, the best and <laughs> when the second season starts it's when madonna's song woke came out nice. and became like number 1 hmm. so and the woke culture is from the ballroom culture by the way i so see woke the dance is from the ballroom culture so there's a very interesting part where they think that now because madonna has come out with this song and it's number 1 this is their moment of glory and this is when they'll be accepted as part of mainstream but then reality hits and that's not the case pretty much i so, see us. i mean there are lots of other things that happen and there are some very good actors here like billy porter um who got the best actor in the prime time emmy awards yes that's correct and he's been nominated again uh, for i think sag and golden globes i guess yeah and there's mj rodriguez there are lots of india more is there so it's it's a very good cast it's very well directed um i think gwyneth paltrow's husband is the producer and has directed some episodes as well so it's so created it's, it's, it's says by ryan murphy and brad falchuk and steven canals yeah great so i might just watch it just to see how they've used vogue because i remember that music video of vogue her dancing with that black and white you know that that step became so popular yeah. when i was in yep. school yeah, yeah so... but that season 2 the only annoying part of the whole thing is that in india season 1 is on netflix and season 2 is on hotstar oh, um okay yeah so netflix so didn't don't have hotstar subscription so so netflix didn't think it, it it didn't think it worth it their while to pick up season 2 as well so everywhere globally it's on netflix but gotcha. for some reason in india it's on hotstar I see. So, uh, all right. So that was Angelin's take on Pose, the drama series set in New York's African American and Latino LGBTQ community, created by the people I said, and it has Evan Peters, Ivan, I don't know how to pronounce it, Kate Mara, James Van Der Beek, MJ Rodriguez, Dominic Jackson, and Billy Porter, who is, and they have someone called India Moore. Okay. Yeah. So this must be one of those. You know, these who started it that they. Oh, she's named after where she was conceived. I was like, okay, Paris or who? No, but this is India, like I N D Y A. Ah, तो कह नहीं सकते ना. You you've seen how David Beckham has spelled Victoria on his forearm, ना Victoria. Yeah. I don't know who. मैंने कहा यार तुझे तो अब किसी ने चूना लगा दिया, चूना नहीं, इंक लगा दी. 
अब वो गुदा दिया अब तो निकाल भी नहीं सकता स्पेलिंग मिस्टेक है विक्टोरिया हो गई खैर सो ओके मूविंग ऑन फ्रॉम दैट टू दिस शो दैट आई वॉच कॉल द रिपोर्ट हैव यू सीन इट एंजलिन Yeah, I did, yeah. After 9/11, everyone was scared. Scared it might happen again. Obvious terrorist attack. It was my second day of grad school. Next day I changed all my classes to national security. Everything they got from him was either a lie or something they already had. If it's going to come out, it's going to come out the right way. So, it's actually about the torture report. I'm always blown away by American series and you know um, criticism and disagreements that I get calling America the greatest nation on earth time and again even though I spent my youth in dharnas against the World Bank and the IMF and I still think uh, both of those are destructive forces for the world and continue to be and for those of you who don't believe me watch a show a documentary film called The Corporation it really shows you how the Washington consensus is not just some lefty khali pulao Uh, they fucked a lot of countries and of course it's coming to bite everybody in the ass which is why we have the kind of politics we do the world over but i'm digressing what i love about american shows is that they can fucking take their own people to the cleaners on netflix like yeah. yahan par netflix will show some film that shows hindu right terror some <laughs> faltu will jump they'll say dekho inko band karo because we are so many people netflix will also say, chalo isko hum wo kar dete hain kya kehte hain censor kar dete hain then some will say ye kaise but then i think uh, the first amendment right इंटेलिजेंस कमिटी और Department of Justice. I think it was the. No, it was the Intel Senate Intelligence it, Committee. Intelligence Committee, I right? Think, uh, which was headed by Senator Feinstein. That's right, the Senator Feinstein. The one who Christine Blasey Ford sent her mail to. No, yes. So yeah. this Adam Driver I think is an amazing actor. He's blown me away in this show too. Uh, even that other film that he did where he's a cop. Which film was that? I we reviewed it on Awful and Awesome. Was it the three? I can. Only remember him as Kylo Ren and nothing else. Oh no, sorry, he was in Black Landsman. He was a cop in Black Landsman. He was amazing in that too. He was the Jewish cop, and uh, yeah, and he was Kylo Ren, which is uh, Darth Vader's yep. son, right? No, sorry, Darth Vader's yes. father. No, not Darth Vader's son. So he's Darth Vader's grandson. Oh yes, he's oh Darth right, Vader's he's Darth Vader's son is Luke Skywalker. Right, right, he's Princess Leia's son. Correct. He's Leia and Han Solo's son. Yes, now. yes. So I think he's done a phenomenal job. Why I love this show is that the how meticulous they are to detail, and because they have this uh, in American, uh, you know, it's just I guess culturally part of them to catalog everything and to archive mm-hmm. everything. Like the same thing. Why that show is such an amazing show? The one about the serial killers. What's it called? Like Mind Hunter. Make Mind Hunter. Right. Because yeah. they they archive everything, every transcript, yeah. and it can be accessed by the public by a filmmaker who can then make a film on it. Ends up, you know, adding so much to society, not just for entertainment but to learn, which is why they learn yeah. quickly. 
you know they can go from pushing globalization the world over to say to being the pioneers of uh, of protectionism <laughs> within a few decades that's because they quickly learn over oh, this is very fucked up let's fix this because they archive stuff so it's a show that's directed by Scott Burns and produced by Scott Burns Jennifer Fox Danny Gabay Eddie Moretti Kerry Orent Steven Soderberg and Michael Sugar that's a lot of people it's written by Scott Burns and i highly recommend it it's not very long it's i think one and a half hours maybe two i don't know yeah yeah one and a half yeah and uh, this was the jones report it was called it was 6700 mm-hmm. report about all the torture or the enhanced interrogation techniques that were used and how dick cheney probably the most evil man on earth after some other people who i don't want to name right now because i'm sitting in new delhi <laughs> uh <laughs> are uh, are uh, and the kind of things that they did to find loopholes to do unspeakably horrible things to people and even while this film is very depressing it's uplifting because you feel that you know there is some accountability that's what i thought of it you tell me what you thought angelin yeah i think it was pretty interesting to see how um you know how much like you said you know how much they archive how much uh, data is available but then you also get to see the other side which is you know how we think that it's only in india that there is bureaucracy and you know things are hidden and your buildings burn down and some important papers go missing uh, something similar to that also happens everywhere hmm. and i guess wherever politics is involved you have to expect that you cannot go in thinking that every everything would be there for the taking in you know on paper so that's nice to see um as far as uplifting is concerned i think uh, it was throughout the movie it was very interesting um i was very hopeful with what they were going to show in the end but then if you read what they write right mm, after the mm, movie ends mm. that sort of brings it back down for me yeah about what actually happened in real life after the sequence of the movie is over that's kind of like you know you say all of these things you and i are learning from this but the actual people who are supposed to learn from it you never know what they took away from that whole experience yeah but uh, you know i don't know whether my mind was getting you know over kind of imagining stuff was there a uh-huh. film made you know along the same things earlier because i remember you know another film about lawyers who represented the advanced interrogation techniques was there any of this in the in that film on dick cheney was there any reference to this episode because i remember this one sequence with these bunch of lawyers and i was like how evil and none of them was of oriental descent is that a politically correct word sorry i'm not being facetious i'm genuinely <laughs> asking is that okay to say um i don't think oriental is the right word what is the word asian you say asian but then we asian. are also asian yeah. yeah okay but but so you're we, talking we, about uh the lawyers in the other movie not in this one even right? in this one the lawyer who says that we can you know say that as long as you saved some lives of it you can justify torture right, you know? right, who's, right. who's so yeah. th- so he's of so basically obvious- if you don't kill someone it's not illegal yes yes so that uh, he's of asian descent i guess asian is the correct uh, politically correct yes. word to use uh, although i think it's very inaccurate uh, it could you know be <laughs> indian but uh, it, he I, i remember there was a sequence similar to this in veep and i was like what an evil man uh, but uh, i i just think that this makes you see bush in a slightly more positive light that he was just this blumbering fool who did, who actually didn't know what the fuck was happening 
yeah, mean, because yeah, the yeah, documents show true. that he wasn't aware of this. It was Dick Cheney who said, "Don't even tell him." So it was him, Condoleezza yeah. Rice, uh, and the one more person they said who knew. I mean, Bush didn't even know what the fuck was happening till four years later. Mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, to some extent, that's true in every administration, right? The the diplomats around you, the you know the people who are running the various offices, they sort of run the show. and then they cater the information to how you would like it to be just to match you know what promises you made during the campaign and things like that right mm. like yeah. how obama you know they speak about how obama's idea was to be bipartisan right so he did not want this to come out and look like you know it was the democrats against the republicans or the republicans did this and that so uh, basically it shows you that none of the politicians are above manipulation of data also i think much as i like obama i think he had that one weakness that a lot of smart articulate well educated people have who are very confident is vanity and vanity supersedes all other factors in decision making and the vanity of wanting to be the man who brings the country together i think right. uh, prevented him from taking a lot of tough decisions going after people who should have been taken to task because you want to be the man mm-hmm. who did not make enemies kind of thing like that desire to be popular yeah. i think is a very cheap desire and it infects everybody no matter how big or small yeah exactly yeah i mean you could be as correct in your intentions but like if the idea is to appease everyone to look like the nice guy mm. you are going to end up hiding something or the other right because not everything can be made to look make you look like a nice guy Yeah. Right now, before we move on to the reviewing the ad and the podcast, my favorite murder, Angeline. What mm-hmm. I wanted to discuss since you're on the phone and you know I saw your mail and I I I agree with the whole thing of why this whole the word not so. I don't know if I would have used the word not so. It doesn't sound like me, but um, this whole political correctness thing, even if it swings a bit to the extreme, I understand why it does and it is justified. But uh, I had one question. Do you think there is a space where people go too far in political correctness or you don't think there is too far in political correctness uh no i think it it is nuanced for sure there is no correct or incorrect um in all situations that's true but then um like the idea is that you should identify you should be able to identify that if you're saying something is coming from uh whether it's coming from a place of privilege or not so unless you've been in that situation or you've experienced something like that you can never really comment with um complete surety that what you think the reaction to a certain thing should be is the correct reaction because you've never faced it no i i right? get so i yeah, just, sure yeah. i i get that but i'm just talking about the words we use the lexicon of political correctness or of just commenting on things like i'll give an example this morning i interviewed asaduddin oasi by the way subscribers the full interview will only be available to subscribers all of you who listen to the podcast for free and who think the mic i'm holding to the room i'm sitting in to my wonderful producer parikshit and anil their salaries come from you know a stock drops them into our office every week no uh this is all paid for and people subscribe and pay so we don't depend on advertisers but i interviewed asadin oasi this morning and i reminded him of one instance where both of us were together for a debate in bangalore and uh, we were told that the debate will start at 7 so everybody please come down to the 
you know, waiting room at uh, 6.50 and then in 10 minutes we'll go to the auditorium. It was outdoor actually, it was an auditorium. So it was like a few hundred, whatever the, the law school in Bangalore, the students. And there was him, mm-hmm. there was uh, uh, Sandeep Dikshit, there was me and there were, I forget, there were two other people, there was Vice Chancellor University. And I got down and I remember I had a long flight, I was very really tired and I said, okay, just let me, I wanted to sleep for, a, you know, a few minutes, but I said, okay, let me get, I shouldn't make people wait. And when I got there, Asaduddin University wasn't there. And I was like, uh, well, uh, what are we waiting for? They said, uh, Mr. Asad is uh, reading his namaz, so we'll start 15 minutes later. So today while I was interviewing him, I said, you know, religion gives you a free pass to do things that would be ordinarily unacceptable. Like, I think he's a great guy. I actually really like Asaduddin University. I said, but you're not the kind of guy who'd keep people waiting, an auditorium full of students, five co-panelists, because you're having a cup of tea or because you want to call up a friend. But you wouldn't think twice about keeping them waiting because you were reading namaz. Now, and I said, you know, when you came, I was wondering, should I make a joke? Should I comment on it? But would it be considered rude or politically incorrect? So he laughed. He said, you should have made a joke. You just said, yeah, time mila tha. And uh, <laughs> I said, okay, but I, I'm not sure. Should I have? I mean, would it be politically correct? Would I be insensitive? You get what I'm saying? I mean, See, I mean if you're cracking a joke to him, um, it totally depends on your equation with him. But if you no, I didn't know him. Publicity? I just thought it. Was, I thought it was a polite. It it, no, I, I didn't know him at all at that time. It was my second meeting with him. But it was a comment I would have made if someone had said, you know, give me ten minutes for this shoot. I'm just going to do some Ganga Aarti. I'm like, dude, get your ass back here. <laughs> I would not tolerate that. But right. would I react the same way if it wasn't my religion? Because I have to be politically correct. I don't know. Do you have an answer? Um, yeah, so basically the thing is, uh, see, if you make a statement publicly, you have to understand that, see, either you're okay cracking that joke because you know that it's not coming from a place of malice and uh, you have nothing against people praying in whatever form or shape they want to pray in and this is just a joke, but you have to know that there are going to be people who are going to take offense to that and then you have to be okay with that. So this sort of, this is you know, your choice, basically. But this, I don't think, has anything to do with the kind of political correctness I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But this is mostly, you know, it's it's up to you. You have a right to make a joke, which is not really insulting the religion. You're just, you know, making a joke about your time being wasted. Hmm. Right. Okay. So others can take offense to it and you have to be okay with it. I mean, if you get offended by the fact that people got offended at your joke, that may not be correct. So, because I mean, they get offended because they hear a lot of insults day in and day out. That's fine. So that's, that's, that, yeah. that's fine. So that's but, probably not the correct think, approach. But, yeah. like, but I think, you know, popular culture is what makes norms norms. You know, I guess it comes from the word normal. So when you normalize something, it is acceptable by the overwhelming majority. Like, I think today people are normalizing hate or bigotry because maybe not overwhelming majority yet, but way more people today get away by saying stuff like unke kapde dekke aap dekh sakte ho kaun jagda karta hai aur hum paanch hamare pachis type comments. So I mean, I mean, they're obviously, you know, bigoted comments. But, right, right. Uh, but what I'm saying is that, for example, my comment was on, on bathrooms. I genuinely, I, I Facebook had 78 different, you could identify yourself with gender types. They had, I mean, I forget, it was Facebook who had come up with that a while ago. And there are several, okay. you know, there's gender fluidity. Uh, right. You know, today I feel like a man, tomorrow I feel like a woman. Now, if I had a child and I have nieces and nephews, 
I'm not okay sending them to a school where a dude can decide that I'll enter the je- ladies loo today or the gents loo. Or then four other loos are being made for four people who identify themselves as different gender. I can understand that it is a trance. There's, but where does it stop? And uh, that's where I was coming from. And I, I genuinely think that I'm fairly open-minded, but it would be pretty hard to convince me that if I have limited funds, I should spend those funds in making five types of bathrooms for different kinds of gender preferences or allow make uh, one or, unisex bathroom in which is uh, which I'm not okay with I'm not okay with guys using a, a bathroom with my daughter in it or my my niece or my you know 12 13 year old niece in it so i so i so so like you're not okay with a guy using a girl's bathroom somebody who does not identify as a man is not okay using a man, a man's bathroom so because you so, only identify the two genders as they are and you don't see the other genders or um you know identities as being as legit as the male or female that's assigned at, at birth hmm. that is what defining your opinion in this matter so i understand that right? so and so that's where the um, but someone has to prevail of the other comes from but my question right? is someone there has to be a decision made right so either it is that person's convenience will be the decision or my convenience will be the decision so why should his or her decision be more important than mine is is my question if my uh, concern is the safety because that person may be wonderful but if the rule is being made because that person is wonderful and any guy can enter that bathroom where my niece is why should that person's convenience supersede my sense of safety for my child because of political correctness no so the idea is not to allow you know men into women's bathroom the idea is that everyone should be able to go wherever they are comfortable right so i'm not saying that i want to put a woman at risk by forcing a man to go into that bathroom while making everything unisex the unisex idea was just when you said lack of funds the idea here is if you if you as a man i tell you that you know um there is no option you have to go to the women's loo you may not be comfortable doing that and if i tell you you have to do that every day with 10 women in the bathroom already you will not be comfortable with it right because yes. you know that you're a man and xyz is the place where you're comfortable and this place is where you're not comfortable right so your comfort and your sense of security is important to you and your decisions or your choices are stemming from that i understand um, you know understanding right? right so similarly there are other people who have their own ideas of how they identify so they do not want to be put in the same bracket as others understood that's yeah no but i i get that but what i'm saying is i i understand it completely but that's okay from a theoretical conversational you know level when you have to make a rule or actually do something with that then what do you do i can understand that that's where my comfort comes from where that is i i get that completely but mm-hmm. conversation is over now bathroom has to be made Does that bathroom allow men to enter a bathroom where there is a girl, where there are children, where are where there are adolescent girls, and in a school which has children from the age of ten to eighteen? Am I okay with an eighteen-year-old guy getting access to a thirteen-year-old girl's bathroom? Because some other guy is comfortable. Uh, so comfort is one thing, but safety is another. And I do think I'm not convinced right now, but I'm open to being convinced. I do think. in certain especially in america mere political correctness uh-huh. outweighs 
another concern which may be equally relevant but it's not a politically correct concern and i think that's a problem no so no i am not of the opinion that your concern is incorrect right your concern is valid and it's definitely correct but for example i'll just give a real life example the place i work in mm-hmm. has a male female and a gender non conforming group hmm. so if you want to wherever you want to go you're free to go there right so if you are a, a man uh, assigned male at birth but you don't identify as male right. you can go to the gender non conforming loop so you have that choice and it's not like you know i don't know the number of uh, gender non conforming people in my workplace mm-hmm. but if i think of it from their perspective i would feel very happy to work in a place that allows me to be who i am sure right and I, i'm not forcing me but Uh, and that that is not to say that men can enter the women's loo or women can enter men's loo because yeah i mean some people feel unsafe in that scenario and oh, uncomfortable i mean i'd be uncomfortable when i'm standing and peeing some five girls come in i'm like dude what the fuck like I, right. you know it's it's yeah, yeah. it's weird <laughs> yeah so that's why there i mean you need to um have the space for at least a conversation about why people need this third option to exist right? right you cannot say that my concern for someone's security is over and above your concern for your existence sure yeah cool angelin uh, thank you so much let's get back to uh, this podcast my favorite murder you know i've i've seen this when i when i'm browsing podcast but i've never ended up clicking on it because often on stitch it's one of the top few so what have i missed should i click on it tell me yeah you should definitely click on it but uh, dude you're sounding like rajshree you you're get, liking everything yeah, i'm getting very suspicious angelin no wait i'm getting very suspicious you've liked everything so far you're like rajshree <laughs> I only watch stuff that I like. Like I start okay. watching if I don't like it, I'm out. Okay, so tell me what is this about? So basically there are these two women who are friends in real life. They are super funny. One of them is a comedy writer. Hmm. Um and uh they both live in LA and they are both super paranoid about uh getting killed basically. <laughs> just out of the blue like just, just generally like because they had some experience when they were young or just out of the blue they, they no just so they're just like worried that something bad's going to happen to them so they're just generally very anxious people in life hmm. um and they live by this philosophy which i sort of believe as well which is if you keep talking about something or if you keep imagining a scenario uh, is going to happen that scenario is actually never going to happen in real life I know that doesn't make sense but <laughs> sorry I'm kind confused principle. you said so if you keep obsessing and talking about a scenario then it will yeah. never happen it will not happen yeah okay but if you don't talk about it might yeah it might I so see. that's just like a bizarro okay. whatever you might want to call it mm, okay so i mean these women are really anxious in life they are very scared cuz they've lived a lot of their lives alone as single women in LA and it's it's not safe um you know they whatever you know you're walking alone at night you feel unsafe and things like that so they're generally very aware of their surroundings and um know how to take care of themselves at night alone um both of them have had 
one or the other kind of addiction during their younger days so they've overcome that so they've both seen a lot of life and uh, overcome a lot uh, but they're generally very funny people so what they do is they both are obsessed with true crime and they keep talking about true crime mm-hmm. and they used to keep doing that in real life and then finally they decided to make a pod- podcast out of it so both of them pick one famous murder case from history and talk about it in the episode mm-hmm. so each of them does their own research and they tell it as a story to the other person mm-hmm. so for example one of them covered ted bundy um whatever the murder of uh, the O.J. Simpson case and things like that. So they just talk about these murders with each other. Hmm. And uh, because they are inherently funny, they end up making jokes while telling the story. So, it's so I like it already. It, it sounds really interesting. So it's tr- it, the, the genre is true crime, but true crime told through comedy. comedy. I mean, through comedy commentary. Yes. Wow. Yes. So it's like the darkest stories you've ever heard. But the people telling these stories to each other are like best friends. So when they're talking to each other, end up making jokes about one or the other thing. So they're laughing. But then the one person who's read the story, so basically they pick one murderer uh, for themselves to tell the story of during the show. And the other one doesn't know what story the, uh, the other person is going to tell them. So it's all a surprise for the other person. I see. Okay. And you know, you've heard of these cases, but you don't know the you know, the details. So while the other person is telling you the details, this one is getting scared, but also laughing and also adding like anecdotes from real life, which so, are kind of similar. So since they're treading on this, funny. they're treading in this very, very dangerous territory of true crime, which obviously has tragedy associated with it. And they make mm-hmm. jokes. Do they ever tread into insensitive, politically incorrect territory where they make a joke that... You think? No. So they do not, wow, okay. like, if at all uh, any one of them ever tries to make a joke about the victim, they stop the other person. Okay. So they have a rule that they are never going to victim shame or mm. victim blame. Mm. And, um, uh, I mean, a lot of small corrections that they've been making over uh, time. For example, a lot of these murderers or serial killers, especially, had an obsession with killing sex workers. Mm. So, whenever you read these articles from like the 60s or 70s or 80s, these people are always called as prostitutes, which is not the right. politically correct way of calling them. Sure. So, um, you know, you'll hear them always read the article and every time there's the word prostitute, they're like, that's not me saying it, that's the article, I will call them sex worker from now on. Hmm. So, you hear all of that. So, they try to be as correct as possible. Um, right. You know, there are mistakes here and there. But in general, and they never try to make fun of the tragedy itself. So okay. it, it's quite interesting okay. the way it's presented. I'd love to. I'm, and they're doing really well. So I'm definitely going to check it out because it just seems such a difficult kind of landscape to negotiate, to make jokes mm-hmm. while discussing serial killers, which will have victims. And often the killer himself could be a victim. I forget the name, but there was this very famous German uh, serial killer. Uh, what was that film with Hopkins? Yeah, well, have the lamb stopped? Whatever. Silence of the lambs, huh? Clarice. Oh, right, right, Clarice. Yeah. Clarice. Hello, Clarice. So in that, I remember uh, I had read that the serial killer who they're out to catch is actually modeled after two real life serial killers. One of them was Ted Bundy, like you mentioned. There was another guy who was, I think, German. 
and he tried to kill himself three or four times and he finally died at the age of 76 uh, after having spent almost 50 years in solitary confinement out of his total of 70 right. years and um, yeah so i mean it's not I mean, like he also he also is a victim yeah. in the sense that he begged the judge to kill him he says i will continue to kill because right. there is something wrong with me but yeah. because the german law didn't allow them to kill anyone they kept him alive and it i mean when you read about it it's a uh, it's horrible even for him because he knows he's a horrible person and he can't stop himself from killing people but they won't let him die and they keep him in solitary so yeah it's a, it's a tricky one mm-hmm. yeah and like you'll hear certain cases where they're just so shocked by the details of it that they're just like they end on sort of like a, a down hmm. uh, or a low point and they're both really sad about it so they've also started doing this thing where they tell each other one good thing that happened in the week to them so that they do not end the podcast on a really depressing note uh, because sometimes it can get really really dark sure. but um, it also helps you sort of um, understand that you cannot like sort of let your guard down at any point in time so there are like people out there who you do not know what they're capable of so you have to sort of be aware of your surroundings aware of the people around you and what they could possibly do so um, yeah I mean it's a good um, understanding or a good study of what human brain is capable of and what human nature is capable of speaking of which um, I, I yeah. actually uh, I forgot this was a comment that I thought when I was watching the report that you uh-huh. know just the kind of torture or the enhanced interrogation techniques which is a fucking right. lame ass euphemism for torture uh, the kind of stuff that they witness and they do and they are part of whether they're doing it themselves or not especially the guys who are doing it themselves and I think that happens with the cops here because you have so much power in your hand you end up misusing right. it and I think anyone who sees that day in and day out are not mentally stable to do justice or to be an arm Correct. of the justice yeah. yet it is only those who are empowered to do such things will do such things and will inevitably yeah. end up becoming mentally damaged so it's an inherent contradiction and it's this vicious circle i think it's impossible to snap out of that it is people who have the power to to do justice in my view are mentally unsound and incapable of doing justice and there is no escape from that yeah because i think to some extent you get sort of you lose that empathy and you lose that sense of uh, feeling that you have for another human being in pain hmm. right yeah because you've seen it so it's i believe to some extent it might be the same case with doctors and surgeons as well right because you've seen people Triage. in pain so often yeah. and you deal it uh, deal with it at such frequency that you fail to recognize that for that person this is a new experience for you it might be a, you know a daily thing but for this person it's a new thing and they need as much empathy from you as possible yeah there was this and, you know, beautiful play and i can't remember the name i think it was marathi or maybe it wasn't uh-huh. or maybe it was telugu I, I, i don't remember exactly i just read the translation about this chandal you know what a chandal is i mean now i yes. i think there's a chandala the people who are who do the last rites right the who who are at the at the crematorium like crematorium yeah so um and of course they very poor because the poorest reporter did that job and this chandal was so poor and the only time his 
child would be fed a decent meal would be when there would be a cremation so she gets mm. into the habit of dancing whenever because the child doesn't know any better they just see a dead body coming and that is that means tonight i'll get a good meal because there'll be some money that'll be given to my father so each time right. a dead body comes she starts dancing and in the end uh, there's some very tragic twist happens and then her own father dies and when he dies she starts dancing just as a it's it's a really oh, macabre and horrible and sad and anyway uh, so we will not do um, what we said they don't do we will leave our audience on a high note angelina i think you've depressed them <laughs> enough for one podcast so this is a nike commercial so for those of you who haven't seen it yet this is what it sounds like but do check out what it looks like it's made by wieden and kennedy amsterdam wieden acha i've just been corrected by my bong producer parikshit that it's wieden um it's basically mbappe those of you who follow football like i do would know mbappe is the superstar super fast winger forward striker for um uh, psg uh, he's also plays for the french national team he was also super cute and he's super cute is he Yeah yeah okay so and he did a phenomenal job last world cup and nike has come out with an ad which is the mbappe ad so what do you think of it angelin did you think it did justice to his cuteness huh <laughs> <laughs> no i think it was pretty it was pretty well done like it uh, basically it, it really embodied the last tagline that they put at the end right like hmm. um love your dreams till they till they love, love you back. back yeah yeah they come with yeah, the best so lines yeah shows his growth it's it's pretty cool yeah i think nike comes out with the best lines and they come with the best ads and i think yeah. uh, we did that whole puma versus nike ad also i think the nike just kicked everybody's ass uh their line just do it and even this uh, you know love your dream till it loves you back and i think if you're like a young child learning the sport or wanting with with kind of stars in your eyes about wanting to be a sports person these kind of ads really really do uh, uh spur you on they they motivate you so i loved it i absolutely loved it yeah i think that um, yeah you're right like nike commercials have always been on point i think they were the ones with uh, no games only sports Yes, Nine, right? no sports. So, in fact, uh, this was uh, it, this campaign was integrated into that film which had, I mean, now that I think of it, what women want? Yes, yeah. with Mel Gibson, yeah. he went completely off the rails. Right, he went fucking cuckoo. Yep, <laughs> he became like this born again or something. Right, I don't know what. what yeah, yeah, uh, anti-Semitic, racist, yeah. But he was such a cool dude, man. Lethal Weapon, that entire series. You know, such a funny thing. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, there was a point where Braveheart used to be like my favorite movie, and now I'm yeah. just like. They no. will take our what land, but they will never take our freedom. Oh, that was such a cool. <laughs> you know, the funniest thing happened since you follow football, Angelin. You'll appreciate the humor and the irony. I don't know if there's irony, but there's this. I was like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? So. You've seen the promo of the new Top Gun, right? Which is coming with Tom Cruise. Yes. Yep. So I was showing my ten-year-old nephew, who's like a football nut, uh, as am I, and I was, uh-huh. and his mother doesn't allow him to watch many films, and he's very limited screen time and stuff. So he's a little out of touch with pop culture for his age group. So I showed him a, 
this I said just check this out when it comes I'll take you I said when I was like I think what 13 14 this film was the film and it had the biggest star of its time Tom Cruise he says who's Tom Cruise so a I was stunned I said how does this child not know Tom Cruise I said okay yeah okay I get why he doesn't know Tom Cruise. I said he was the biggest star like ever he says is he Tony Cruise's father <laughs> the German football player. I said no. That's K R O S C R U I S E. I think that's how he spells it. But just think, this this kid doesn't know who Tom Cruise is, but he knows who Tony Cruise is. I think that's a good thing or a bad mm. thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> but before we go, Angeline, do tell us, uh, give me a recommendation and our audience also of something that you think would enrich our lives. What kind of Since you do watch, you have eclectic taste in cinema, theater, books. Why don't you recommend a book? We we recommend enough films here. The latest book I read was Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Completely fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's by Gail Honeyman, I guess. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Um, it's a pretty interesting book about this woman who lives alone. It's set in the UK, and uh, she is. from the whole foster care system like she uh, come out of that system right that's where she was raised mm-hmm. and um, she has a mother who's uh, in prison and she talks to the mother very often mm-hmm. and she has some very deep seated issues with her mother but she's never able to confront her because she's so scared of her but those issues and her past basically have made her into this recluse who's a little off um has issues with uh interaction with other human beings but it's it's said in a or the story is written in a kind of a lighter tone it's not very dark or deep it's kind of funny like the way she reacts to a very regular situation like a pizza delivery hmm. um where you like she doesn't know she thinks it's kind of like fine dining for so somebody's coming over i should dress up and somebody's going right. to deliver pizza hmm. so she doesn't know how regular daily interactions work hmm. and uh, so the book basically talks about how she is in her day to day life how uh, her past has shaped it and then basically it's just a character development of this woman i see ha. very interesting since you liked it and it sounds something like what i'll recommend have you read m in the big home by jerry pinto Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just thought talking about mothers and you know, kind of confusing relationship of loving them so much and yet being exasperated by this by the illness, the mental illness. I just, I thought that book is one of the finest Indian books I have ever read in my life. And I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. going overboard, but yeah. Anyway, so before I let you go, Angeline, why don't you do a unique appeal to people who are Mufat Khors and they subscribe? Am I too rude when I ask them, or should I ask them politely like Angeline will? No, I think you're right in the way you ask it. So why don't you do it I for me? I don't think there's a plan. Yeah, I think um, with the kind of world we live in right now, it's very important to have somebody give you information which is not coloured by one side or the other, um, or not completely coloured by it at least. At least And not by financial uh, motivations. Sorry. At least not by financial motivations. Yeah, and I mean, if you want um, this country or your world to function in the way it's supposed to function in a democratic fashion, you need to have people giving you information that are not actually mouthpieces for someone who has a big load of cash hanging in front of them. 
so you need to be a part of this movement and you need to put in money where it really belongs which is in the hands of people who are actually risking life and limb to get you information which is important for this world to function thank you so much so, angelin yeah. very sweet of you thank you for your support thank you for co-hosting me i enjoyed it we should do this again sometime and we may probably yeah. there's a high likelihood we will be recording our 7th birthday hafta podcast in bangalore do come oh, yeah, it would okay. be wonderful to meet so, you yeah. we are trying to have a slightly bigger event of it so you know all subscribers can come we can have a live recording and it can be participatory so thanks thanks for your time uh before we sign off uh, any of you who want to give some feedback some very valuable inputs and criticism you can write to us at contact@newslaundry.com i repeat contact@newslaundry.com uh if you want to just give abuse uh, rajshree's twitter timeline is at brown sahiba <laughs> so you can just leave it at on her twitter timeline and uh, do uh, rate this podcast whatever platform you're listening to it on uh, give it a high rating that would make more people discover us and then maybe subscribe to us and become members of a community that keeps news independent so thank you for listening and uh, thank you miss sahni thank you mr tikri it's a wrap all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel